Hello everyone, this is Kevin Ann at Eagle Strong Voice. It's May the 4th, 2022. This is a, a combination of an update from the Republic of Canada, but also a revival of my muckraking column of free inquiry called Annette's Commentary. Today I'm going to touch on three important things. Uh, not only the so-called war over in the Ukraine, but the particular process of mind control connected to the Canadian so-called Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and what's really under the ground at the Kamloops death camp they still call a residential school. First of all, the second casualty, what's up with Ukraine anyway? Well, the Greek playwright Aeschylus wrote that the first casualty of war is truth. Well, nowadays, the second casualty is enjoyability. Wars just aren't that much fun anymore to watch because, for one thing, they're too banal and predictable. Take the Ukraine, for instance. George or Orwell predicted that particular war nearly 80 years ago, when he observed in his book 1984 that three rival power blocks in the world would eventually run everything, and they would use wars not to fight each other, but to control their own people. And so these days, what Orwell called Oceania, or America, is fighting, quote, Eurasia, or Russia, to the great delight of East Asia, or China. And of course, who couldn't see that one coming? Of course, this latest scripted bloodbath does have its other benefits for the boardroom boys. Since that alleged COVID microbe hasn't proved completely convincing enough to keep all those pearls in line, there's nothing like a war to do it, and to cause an even further drop in IQ levels. As a comical case in point, I just learned that the veterinarians of Chicago recently announced that they will provide free care for any poor little dog in Ukraine not Russian dogs, but Ukrainian dogs, who get hurt in the punch-up. Seriously. <laughs> well, Kafka aside, the Ukrainian debacle might as well have Made in Beijing written all over it. I know the U.S. government sure carries that label. Because, besides its habitual fear of the Slav bear, why would America choose the Ruskies as the enemy to fight, when China is by far the greater threat? Beijing is rapidly gobbling up the U.S. economy and debt and has bought Canada outright to grab all of the vast resources of that region. So why in God's name would the U.S. choose to fight Russia at all, unless its leaders in Washington are either nuts, suicidal, or on the Sino payroll? Well, the very fact that America's ruling class is divided and working against itself at cross-purposes is a sign that it is collapsing. The Democrats are in the China camp, and the Republicans are siding with Russia. And that split has been brilliantly engineered by Russia and China over the last number of years. Tag team effort with a lot of help from Donnie Rump and Joe biding his time, who, leading their respective parties, are dutifully ripping their own country apart. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin haven't studied the art of war for nothing. As Sun Tzu teaches therein, once you divide the strength of your main enemy, that enemy will defeat will be defeated in turn, quite easily. Frankly, I think America will be lucky to survive another decade. Well, I suppose it was inevitable that the land of the fee is nearing its demise, because the Chinese and Russian oligarchies are a far better host and medium for the global corporatocracy that's the real power in the world. Of course, one day that Leviathan will absorb both of those nations too after a fractured America has collapsed into civil war and chaos. In the long historical view, Moscow and Beijing 
are really the midwives of a new global society, the omni-corporation, that will enslave and eradicate humanity as we know it. Like any war, it's all about business. Part 2. Looking for Justin. On Big T, Mini T, and me. Well, it's interesting when you compare the quotes of quote, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his dad, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. Pierre Trudeau, when he brought in his own version of uh, Homeland Security, the War Measures Act in October 1970, after a contrived shootout in Quebec, Trudeau, when he brought in the troops all over the country and started locking people up, he said, quote, all I can say to those bleeding hearts who get nervous at the sight of guns is, go ahead and bleed. And similarly, his son Justin said, when all those truckers showed up on Parliament Hill in February, he said, those protesters are a fringe group who have unacceptable views. Well, I'm remembered from the uh, quote from the movie The Manchurian Candidate, when the Senator Jordan says, this won't be an election, it'll be a coup, with the new president a wholly owned subsidiary of Manchurian Global Incorporated. Well, in that regard, I remember a story my uncle... George McCua told me. It made the rounds of our family quite a lot. Because the last thing he and his wife, my Aunt Claudette, would have expected to see was the Prime Minister of Canada punch his own wife unconscious in front of them. That happened at the Chateau Laurier dinner one night in the spring of 1972 because my Uncle George McCua at the time was a major bagman for the Liberal Party and a personal friend of Pierre Trudeau. Trudeau would sometimes invite George and my Aunt Claudette out to dinner with his lovely and ornamental wife, Margaret. Well, as George tells it, the four of them were chowing down on taxpayer-funded filet mignon at the Chateau Laurier just before a federal election. And Margaret Trudeau said something that about the political scene that Pierre, Pierre Trudeau didn't appreciate. So without a word, the Prime Minister turned and drove his fist into the face of his wife. Maggie collapsed unconscious on the floor as Pierre Trudeau calmly returned to his meal. Well, being consummate Canadians, neither my Uncle George nor Aunt Claudette objected to the assault. They simply stared aghast at the Prime Minister, who made a joke about something while two plainclothes Mounties dragged Canada's bleeding and comatose, quote, First Lady from the lavish Ottawa dining room. Well, Pierre Trudeau was, as we know, an arrogant sadist who liked to beat up defenseless people, including his own children. His eldest son, Justin, inherited his dubious crown as the Prime Minister of Canada, but behind the official facade lurks a frightened and battered boy who has made, made that way by not only his father's fists. I think about that whenever I watch Justin perform. When streams of trucker protests uh, poured into Ottawa, Justin called them terrorists and then quickly vanished from public sight. He took off to the West Coast, actually. Fled, actually. And that's, of course, how beaten kids act. They can't stand up to a fight. They call nasty names at their adversaries and then run away to avoid any blows. At the time, Minnie T fled into reclusion somewhere around Vancouver, as far from his burly enemies and as close to his Chinese sponsors as possible. But was his relocation to the Pacific region perhaps for an even more sinister reason, purpose? Well, to answer that question, we have to and pry open that particular can of worms, we have to look at two names, Dr. John Seeley and the Hollywood Hospital in New Westminster, just outside Vancouver. John Seeley was a Jesuit-educated American sociologist and child rapist who worked for the CIA in their MKUltra mind control programs. Seeley was also a friend of 
Pierre Trudeau, and a frequent host, host guest of the Prime Minister, where he served as a self-described personal mentor to all three Trudeau boys, Justin and his two brothers, Michel and Alexandre, all of whom received the same Jesuit education that Pierre Trudeau got. Well, the second point, the Hollywood Hospital. What was it? Frankly, it was a mind control center. It was a notorious center for LSD research and behavior modification that was run by Canada's Defense Research Board and the Roman Catholic Church with considerable CIA funding. John Seeley and the Trudeau children were frequent visitors at the Hollywood Hospital, which bore its name because of the movie celebrities associated with it, including U.S. government insiders like Bob Hope and Cary Grant. However, a less well-known attendee at the Hollywood Hospital was Justin's own mother, Margaret Sinclair Trudeau. As a child in Vancouver during the 1950s, Margaret Trudeau underwent undisclosed chemical and shock treatments at the Hollywood Hospital. The experiments were run by the notorious Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, which, as a division of IG Farben in Nazi Germany, manufactured and tested LSD with the assistance of the death camp doctor Josef Mengele, who after the war came to Canada. Sandoz was a predecessor of the pharmaceutical companies Roche and Novartis, which are presently implicated and being convicted of medical genocide and organ trafficking in China and Canada on the West Coast. Well, Sandoz Pharmaceuticals prospered in Nazi Germany by using concentration camp inmates as involuntary drug test subjects, like they did before and after World War II in Canadian Indian residential schools and hospitals. And a lot of children are still buried in the ground who died from those experiments, and who are still dying from them, at the hands of Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, and other convicted pharma companies. Sandoz Pharmaceuticals also partnered with the CIA in testing LSD on prisoners and patients, and they ran many of the experimental programs at the Hollywood Hospital until it was closed in 1975. Well, the ties between that place and Justin Trudeau are even closer, because Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, guess what, is a major shareholder in the very companies that Trudeau was awarded the COVID vaccine contract to in Canada. The same companies administering those COVID shots now, Moderna and Pfizer. Well, before the closure of the Hollywood Hospital, the handler of the Trudeau sons, Dr. John Seeley, routine, routinely brought all three of them, including Justin, to the hospital as children. And that's according to a former nurse who now lives in retirement in Kamloops. She says, quote, All I know is the Trudeau kids were always kept off by themselves, not with the other children. I heard that they had them in the deep sleep room where they did all the behavior, behavior modification work. They'd always come and go in secret, and we were told to keep quiet about it. Unquote. Well, if you've seen the remake of the Manchurian Candidate movie, you recall the scene where the programmed, hypnotized presidential candidate checks into a private clinic to have the nanoprobes in his brain adjusted by a team of surgeons in the pay of big money and the Manchurian Global Corporation. It isn't too much of a stretch to imagine Justin Trudeau undergoing such a procedure or its equivalent at the hands of Chinese neurologists during his strange and unexplained flight to the West Coast last February. After all, Justin's first action when he was elected was to dutifully remove all restrictions on Chinese investment in Canada and allow China to station its troops anywhere on our soil. Well, that's all treason, of course, but does that really matter to a mind-controlled puppet who people call a Prime Minister? And meanwhile, back in Kamloops, unearthing more than little bodies. Well, don't forget, one year ago this month, 
The people who buried them announced that they had discovered the remains of 215 children at the former Catholic death camp called the Kamloops Indian Residential School. And the contrived media orgy that followed created the impression that uncovering mass graves of brown children in Canada was a new thing. Of course, that kind of fogging of history is what spin campaigns and cover-ups do. Well, there was a member of the Tecumloves Band Council called Mike McKenzie, who was in on the spin campaign. He spoke to us recently. Mike is a former member of that band council, which is the hand puppet of the Canadian government, and they stage managed the alleged excavation of the kids' graves in Kamloops in May 2021. Like any local native, Mike knows very well that children's remains have been turning up on the Kamloops grounds for decades and were systematically destroyed by the band council, the RCMP, and the Catholic Church. But recently he came clean about the deeper drama connected to what locals now call the May 27th fiasco. Mike says, quote, First thing you've got to know is that Kamloops is still a Catholic missionary town. The church runs the band council and politicians. Our member of parliament is a knight of Columbus named Frank Caputo. And he's the one who invited the Pope to come and do his apology bullshit. But he had the backing of all the Tecumloops chiefs, like Manny Jules, Bonnie Leonard, and Roseanne Casimir, all of them loyal Catholics. They all had to cover their asses after somebody in the band council leaked news of the mass grave to the press. Unquote. But more than concealing their church's body count was the thing responsible for the Tecumseh band council's pretense of commencing a dense uh, dig at the graves. Because that dig was really a smokescreen. Behind it there was big money involved, as usual. And the dig, which never actually happened, was a distraction, according to Mike. Quote, Our traditional clan mothers have been fighting the band council for years. They plan to arrest Pope Francis if he came to Kamloops. But they've also been trying to get independence from the feds to become economically self-sufficient. We had our own cannabis company ready to go. But the day before we were to announce it, the band council made the announcement of the graves and all the media got focused on them. Then right after that, our company was sabotaged and our facilities were burned to the ground. Unquote. Well, Mike insists that it wasn't just the Tecumseh's puppet chiefs who torched their independent business, but gangster interests who were met behind the massively profitable cannabis industry on the West Coast, whose revenues now exceed $4 billion a year. And those gangster interests include leading Canadian cops and politicians, including former Toronto Police Chief Julian Fantino, Senator Larry Campbell, and former Prime Minister Paul Martin. Both Campbell and Martin are not only big investors in the Chinese underworld's domination of the BC cannabis industry, but they're linked to the death and disappearance of indigenous women at the infamous Piggy's Palace in Coquitlam. And you can see that in my column from October 27th, 2021, entitled Notes on a Remarkably Guilty Politician. Well, Mike concludes by saying, these guys don't want small-time Aboriginal entrepreneurs cutting in on their monopoly. It's like with the timber and liquid natural gas being pumped out of the province to China. The band council chiefs are all getting in on the action as partners with the feds and the Chinese. Why do you think so many of our native families keep going missing? The Kamloops children's grave was to distract from the graves now being filled up with the bodies of our own people. Well, next issue, we're going to go into detail about how the West Coast puppet Indian chiefs are China's biggest allies in the robbing of Canadian resources and sovereignty. Also, stay tuned on Monday, May 9th, for a breaking news announcement for the Republic of Canada and its affiliated International Common Law Court of Justice. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. It's May 4th, 2022.
Murderbydecree.com, Republic of Kanata.org. I thank you.